Thank you. Is there a doctor in the house? Oh my goodness, I had to use that song. You're like, there's no way you can make an Eminem song relevant for today's message. Oh yes, we will get there. I love that song, Lose Yourself. I also threw it out there because the baby boomers got smoke on the water last week. And so I figured the rest of us, and after the Oscars, man, did anybody see the Oscars and nail that song? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was amazing. What are the rest of you doing? I mean, and what are you listening to? You're not, how many country music people out there? Wow, I'm going to have to play a country music song to get half of this crowd. Oh, man. Well, you know, the reason why I do like it is because he talks about losing yourself. And it's kind of a whole story that he goes through personally about losing himself. And we're going to find that Abraham is at that place in our journey of reimagining our lives. There's a point when you're going to have to lose yourself. But I also wanted to talk about how at Crosstown, you have started that process. You know, we were reviewing what we've accomplished in the last year to find out whether or not Crosstown's worth being here. I really wish every church would just stop and look and whether or not is the earth better because they're on the planet, because we're supposed to be salt and light in the midst of darkness. And so we began to look at some of it, and you've got a handout that's on your chair, and also if you can't see that, we'll bring up the lights for you to see. Um, You also have it on the app, so you can take a look at the app. But I wanted to show you what you have contributed to, what you have been a part of through your losing yourself, your giving, that you have enabled all of us together to go beyond us, to go through us, to facilitate us and to enable us. And that what you have given over the last year really has made a difference. And, And there's something about when a church or a group of people or an individual decides to lose themselves that we can begin to reimagine a different world. And, and I was looking at it, it was like, wow, we let $95,000 slip through our fingers this year um, out to other organizations. Ah, we're going to have to stop that. That's crazy, you know? <laughs> Thank you for the lights. But take a look at that. And I just want to say that it's, it's really amazing about... Um, how we can make a difference together and reimagine our communities. And, and I'm surprised about how Crosstown makes a difference in some of the different ways. And, and you may look at some of the things that we've given to, and you may have noticed on there there's the flooding issue. And you say, well, I don't see how that's really a giving into community. Well, some churches have sociological impact. Some have um, impact in the area of sciences and in, in you know, into the cities and communities. And that's just the way that God has made an impact through us and chose to use us in that particular way. So much so, if you think, well, you know, pastor, that's just, you know. Well, let me just tell you that tomorrow I will be meeting with this group uh, here at Crosstown. The Today Show will be coming tomorrow to interview me about how we have impacted flooding. Yeah, me and Al Roker, whoever, you'll be sitting there, you know, having coffee together, and Jenna Bush or whoever, I'm making this up, I don't know who they are, but I don't watch the show, but yeah, they're actually coming tomorrow to film, Um, it started off to talk about 
some new legislation about wetlands and they found out about us. We're involved in pushing back on some of the subdivisions being developed here. But then they looked at the REI article, the magazine that REI, the outfitter, puts out called The Uncommon Path, and they featured Crosstown in that. You may not have known, I should probably share this with you more often, but there's a magazine that did a whole article on us, and so they saw that online, and they were like, we just need to talk about you guys. You guys are your own story. So the producer will be coming down with the camera crew, and tomorrow morning we'll be filming our story. It will broadcast on the Today Show later on in the week. We'll let you know when that happens. So stay in touch with our app, download the app. And um, I'm kind of, uh, you know, a little hesitant to tell you to watch it, but, you know, because I, you know, I don't know how it's going to go. But the whole point is this. If you had told me five years ago that how can God get your show on national TV on the Today Show, there's no, there's no seminary program on how to get your, your, your church impactful enough to go on national TV. Um, God did it, and he did it through you. He did it through your giving. He did it through your faithfulness. All those times that we were setting up in the cinema multiple times, getting flooded, the fact that we weren't able to fix it the first time. You know, most people would be like, well, I would have been a great leader if we could have fixed it the first time, but if we couldn't fix it, and the fact that we're still here, that's more interesting to them, that people can remain um, resilient enough to adversity and then begin to have an impact on the community around him. So these are ways that we're making a difference. I know we don't feel like Crosstown's a big deal, but we're a big deal. Um, we're, make, we're impacting people's lives. We're impacting people's marriages. And uh, we're impacting the community around us. And I just, you know what? You hear a lot of people talking about, they'll have a teacher that says, I love my church. Well, I kind of have a theological opposition to the yeah, I love my church t-shirt because the church should be wearing I love my Lord t-shirt. It's Jesus who should be saying, wearing a t-shirt that says I love my church. So he sent me a picture of himself with I love my church. And there he is. So I just wanted to let you know that God loves what you guys are doing, and he really loves what Crosstown's about, and that when we lose ourselves, that we can begin to reimagine and see a new community emerge. So let's give it up for God, for Crosstown, and all that he's doing. Absolutely, absolutely awesome. I, I am excited to be a part of this church. You know, last week we followed Abraham to the place of God asking him to do something difficult and sacrificing his son Isaac. And I broke down why God would do that in such a weird kind of way. It's like it's an odd ask from God. And, and so if you're not aware of that, please listen to the podcast from last week. I break down the cultural implications of this whole idea of sacrifice and how it was kind of a cultural handshake or the, the affirming of a deal between two partners. And you can find out more about that just so that you don't think God's a real weirdo for asking the guy to kill his kid when God doesn't really want us killing any of our kids, though you may feel like killing one of your kids. So I just wanted to let you know that, you know, listen to that and, and that will make a little bit more sense to you. But Abraham enters a moment where he has to lose himself, where this is, it's going to be about Abraham. And let me read you the story that comes out of Genesis 22. And then they came to a place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. 
I mean, that was probably the fastest here I am that was ever spoken in human history. And the angel said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, here's the thing, is that um, God already knows what Abraham's going to do. So when we hear the dialogue here where it says, now I know, it's really an affirmation for the sake of Abraham to know that, hey, listen, I, I know what you're about to do, and I know what you were doing, and I know your life. I know your difficulty. I know the hardships. I know how hard it is to follow me. I know how hard at times it is to obey me. I know how hard it is to walk through life. But I want to let you know that I know. And maybe you're in a place here today where the adversity is, the adversity is one part. The pain is another part. But knowing that somebody else knows about your pain, that's a really big part. I mean, it really is a big part. And particularly for God to say to you, hey, I know you're going through it. I know it's, not, it's probably not going to change. I'm, you know, I'm not, he's not promising that it's, it's going to change. He said, but I want to let you know that I now know how hard this is. I want to let you know that I know how difficult this is. So as we continue forward with this journey with Abraham, we talk about all these high ideas and these principles, you know, and it's like, well, that, you know, I get it. But I want you to know that in the middle of all this stuff, as you consider what happens over the next 20 minutes, that God knows what he's asking you, but he also knows how you feel about it. And he knows how difficult it is. So the story goes on. He says, then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, Behind him there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called that place, uh, the Lord will provide as it is to this day. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And this is really some powerful stuff. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing. And have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply you as the stars of the heaven, as the sands of the sea. And, and he continues to say, because you have obeyed my voice. You know, in a story like this where the, the details are so unique, you know, I mean, I don't, don't expect God to come to me in the middle of the night and say, I want you to kill one of your children. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. So this is kind of a unique thing. I also know there's a lot of cultural meaning embedded in this. So whenever I read a Bible story that kind of has such a, a deep cultural rooting to it, I, I'm kind of looking for the universal truth. That idea that makes sense to me as a 21st century Christian or as an individual, whether I'm white or black or whether I'm wealthy or poor, or, I'm looking for the universal truth in it. Um, since I know that, you know, finding a ram in the thicket, I mean, what's that all about? I mean, I had I, never seen a ram in my life and, and I'm not sure what it would look like for him to be caught in thicket. But it, it just doesn't really culturally relate to me. So I always ask God to kind of unfold out of the story, what do you want me to get out of this story? story. And as I look at it, there's this universal insight. 
And in the story, the angel says, representing God, says this, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It seems that this story really isn't about Isaac. Um, it's about this kind of construction that I, I see put here by the angel. He says that you, yours, your only, not withheld from me. Now, you could have plugged anything in there, but the idea that he says that, that you, that he says yours, and then he goes even further and he goes, you're only. And it's like, well, why say it? Why not just say your son? You didn't withhold your son from me. But he, it seems as if what God is saying to Abraham is like, I, you didn't withheld you from me. You didn't just withheld yours from me, but you withheld your only from me. And when I hear language like that repeated, it means it's like moving further and further and further and further into the meat of the heart. You know, it's not like you didn't withheld from me, but it's like you, yours, not just yours, but your only. How much is the verse in, that we're told that God so loved the world that he, I mean, it could have been written, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And are like, okay. But how much more richer to the heart of the story of what God has done is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's like, it, it doesn't tell me more, well, it does give me a little bit about, more about who Jesus is, but it really tells me more about the heart of the father. It's like, it's like, listen, this sacrifice that he's making, it's, it's not just a kid. It's not just a son. It's like my only, my only son, my only begotten son. And so what you realize from that kind of uh, uh, description is that this is not just something here. This is not just something here. This is something deep in the meat of, of who God is, his heart, his soul. And so that's what the angel says. It's like, wow, we got deep into you, Abraham, didn't we? It's like, you know, we got to a place in you that, that got you, yours, your only. And you didn't withhold that from me. And God is saying, man, I know that. I know that about you. And this is where Abraham finds himself. He's in a moment of losing himself. He loses his uh, himself in surrendering his will to God. He loses himself in surrendering his something valuable to God. He loses himself in not being able to figure out how the future is going to play out and relinquishing control in all this. I mean, God really gets, not Isaac, God really gets Abraham in this story. The exact same kind of insight and the same kind of universal thought comes to us from an interaction that Jesus has. And it's a pretty popular one. If you've gone to church, you've probably heard it before. Um, so let me just tell you what it's not about. It's Jesus is going to have this, this conversation with a young rich ruler. And it's, it reveals the same universal idea. But it's not about money. This is not about money, even though you might have gone to a church, or even this church, I don't know, maybe I did, uh, where this story was used about taking an offering. Okay? Um, it's not about the evils of wealth. This is not a story about the one percenters in the world that we all need to hate and we need to take all their money from them. Um, this is not a story about an ideological shift from capitalism to socialism. And some people will, I mean, Jesus wasn't into that. I mean, that's, that's not, Jesus is into you, 
yours, your only. Jesus is into the, into the heart of the matter of each individual. He's not looking to ideologically shift from one way of, of doing earth government to another way of doing earth government. So people will hijack this story and say, wow, see, look at Jesus, this is a socialist. It's like, oh, please, this is not, it's not even what it's about. So let me, I want you to see the universal idea that we saw in Abraham reflected in Jesus' interaction. We're told out of this story in Luke 18 and Matthew, and also it's in Mark, a young ruler questioned Jesus, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, do not commit uh, adultery, do not commit murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he, the young man said, probably very enthusiastically, all these things I have kept from my youth. You see, these commandments to obey were not really a reflection of who he was. I mean, he wasn't, maybe he's not even married, so he's not committing adultery. And, and so maybe he hasn't killed anybody, so he's like, I'm, I'm pretty cool there. And I honor my, I have a good relationship with my mom and dad. And so... I'm pretty cool there. They, they really didn't even touch who he was. They didn't get to that place that God wanted to get with this young man, especially to the place of eternal life. See, it never got as far as to um, you, yours, your only with this young man. See, this guy was able to give this stuff without losing himself. And a lot of us are in that exact same place. I would say 99.9% .9 of Americans are told that we can come to church every single Sunday. And you don't have to lose yourself. You're all about gaining yourself here. We're all here to figure out how God can bless you. I mean, it's the American way of preaching stuff. It's, it's like, no, 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 no. And most of us come in here today and we'll be like, okay, uh, am I murdering anybody? No. Um, am I cheating on my wife? No. Am I talking bad about people? Not usually. Uh, it was, I said, not usually. Um, do I honor my mother and father? Yes, I do that. They're dead. It's a lot easier today than it was when they were alive. So, you know, so basically those principles, it's like, hey, I got it. Uh, well, well, but Jesus is like, no, we haven't gotten to you, yours, your only yet. So this guy thinks, well, no, 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 the, heaven doesn't have to be worried about mine and my own and my only. It's just about obeying these, these few ethical rules. That's where it goes. And Jesus is like, no, we're not going to leave it there. Like he doesn't leave it there with Abraham. Because Jesus knew that this guy was still withholding something. And that's when we get into the conversation about wealth. And it's the only reason why we get into this conversation about wealth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to this young man, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Luke 18. See, Jesus only turns to material goods because they were his Isaac. We know Jesus isn't against material goods. We know that Jesus actually has relationship with rich people. We actually know that he actually has to have a relationship with a rich guy in order to get his burial site, that they have to go to Joseph of Arimathea, who is a very wealthy man, who gives the very grave that Jesus is going to be buried in, the tomb that he's going to be buried in, gets given to him by a rich guy because the, the disciples were broke. So we know he's not anti-wealth, but we know that Jesus takes this 
this dialogue with this man further because he wants to get to this man's you, yours, your only. He wants to get to the meat of the heart. He wants to get to the part that stands in the way of the new future happening. It's that part that we need to lose about ourselves. And we all have a part that we need to lose, but it's not the same thing for all of us. Um, there, it's not just one thing. Because I know we could all say, ah, oh, yes, the rich. Yeah, I know about the rich. Yes, they, are, they have this problem. Rich people always have this problem. But the type of withholding is not the same for all of us. Now, I know that there's probably somebody doing some psychological work about the behavior of humanity and that there are some actuary tables that most of us fall into categories of things that we withhold from the divine. And it may fall into the category of maybe money. Um, uh, maybe uh, it falls into the area of relationships. Uh, maybe our sex, uh, whatever it is. Or maybe, what it, maybe it's a withholding of forgiveness to somebody that did it wrong. I bet you that's really high. I bet you that's really high, that we withhold forgiveness from people. Um, that's our withholding that, you know, um, or, or maybe it's withholding serving. You know, it's like maybe some of us are really good at writing a check and it's like, hey, here's a check and, and go do that, but don't ask me to work in the nursery. You know, it's like, yeah, I, you know, or, or don't make me talk to somebody I don't like. Uh, or, or maybe we're withholding and that we're, we're getting stuck someplace in our lives. And, and that's why Jesus says don't judge because you don't know just because you see a rich man doesn't mean they're greedy. You know, and we do that in America. You know, um, we, we, we think that since we know a certain kind of person, oh, we're notorious. Okay, just because a person is black, we'll, we'll, we'll say there's a certain kind of withholding. Since a person's white, we'll say there's a certain with the, just because somebody's white and male, we'll say there's a certain withholding. So, you know, we'll all of a sudden assign that, that all these people have this exact same problem and we categorize people into these different groups. And Jesus says, stop it. You don't know what I'm asking that guy to give and what I'm asking that woman to give. Maybe that person's better with money and their money doesn't own them. Remember in that verse it said, um, well, and let me, let me read it to you again. And the young man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I would, if I could have written the Bible, which would, be, would have been fun, um, it, it, would have, it would have been a lot easier, let me just tell you that. We wouldn't even be having this sermon, so, but it would be all wrong. But it, it says, and when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Um, I would say he went away sorrowful for his possessions had him greatly. I mean, they were holding on to him. That just because somebody's wealthy doesn't mean that's happening. But Jesus knows, and that's why we're told in Abraham, now I know. And Abraham, I want you to know, I know what the withholding is. And I know what you're giving here. And God knows what every one of our withholding is. He knows what it is that we can go to church every single Sunday and walk out of here because no murder, no theft, no stealing, no adultery. I'm good to go. And God's like, oh, whoa, 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 one thing you lack. Let's talk about your withholding. Let's talk about that one thing you don't let me talk about. Let me talk about the meat of your heart, your pride. Your, your, your failure, your success. Let, let me talk to you about your bitterness. Let me talk to you about your pain. Let me, let, me, let me talk to you about your relationship with your father. Let me talk to you about, let me talk to you about your serving. Um, let, me just, let me talk to you about, about how you feel about black people. Let me, let me talk to you about how you feel about white people. Let me talk to you, 
the withholding of the divine in your life. And it, and it reaches in so many areas of our lives. And it's not the same for all of us. Jesus only uses material goods because that's, that's this guy's Isaac. So what's your Isaac? It's not the same for all of us. But here's one of the things that I noticed that we don't realize that it is our withholding that becomes heaven's withholding. It's kind of like when we tell God that we're gonna withhold from him what he wants from us, we are actually withholding something that he wants to give us. There's a kind of a, I don't know if it's a folklore story, but it's a really good sermon illustration, so I'm gonna use it anyway. Um, it's about how to catch a monkey. And apparently when you would try to catch a monkey, they would, what they would do is they would get a, a vase that was about this tall, and, and the top of the vase would be a, a narrow one, and the opening would be just enough for a monkey to slip uh, his hand into, into the vase. Well, then they would put treats all around the vase. And so what they would do is they would, uh, they would hide, and the monkey would come up to the vase and begin to eat all the treats and then would presuppose that, well, there was more treats inside of this object. So the monkey would climb up onto the vase and put its hand inside. Well, what they put inside the vase is these rocks. So when the monkey would reach down and grab the rock, because his fist was now full of something, he can't get it through the opening of the vase, and those who are trapping the monkey would come out of the bushes and then grab the monkey. But the crazy thing they found out about monkeys is that the monkeys would not lick over the rock. Because monkeys, unlike human beings, of which there are many differences, the monkeys did not have the ability to project a future outcome if I suffer loss now. See, and so he's like, I can't let go of this because this is now, and I'm not thinking about the future, I'm just thinking about this momentary pleasure, and I'm not willing to let go of this momentary pleasure because I am not willing to look forward into the future and say, well, God's gonna do something better in my life, so I'm willing to drop the rock. Now let me ask you, have you figured out what your, what your rock is yet? Have you figured out what your Isaac is? Maybe it's that momentary pleasure that you're holding on to, and you don't wanna let go, and, and and because you just can't think about into the future, you know, if I let go of this thing, then I'm going to be alone. If I let, this, let go of this thing, well, maybe my job won't work out. If I let the, go of this thing, maybe, you know, this won't take place in my life. And, and we grab a hold of that, and then we become entrapped because we don't have the ability to lose ourselves or lose that thing that God has asked us to lose. And it's not the same for all of us. I mean, just if you'll just let me uh, be super spiritual today, the word bitterness just popped into my head. Um, I'm just floating it out there. That maybe you're here today and you are full of bitterness. And I'm going to be honest with you, the word bitterness seems to be directed towards God. Um, so I don't know if, if that's you, but God's like, that's your rock, monkey. You're caught. You're trapped. You need to let go of it. Um, so it's interesting that we may be robbing ourselves of our, of our future, our blessing. I love what it says in Genesis 22. He says, the angel says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed 
I will bless you greatly, or I will greatly bless you. See, the material withholding may not be the same, but there seems to be this, it comes down to this losing himself. Um, I have to admit, this is a kind of a tough story to teach on because it doesn't seem to make sense at some point. And here's why, is because God already earlier told Abraham when he came out of the tent, remember that sermon? He pulls him out of the tent and says, hey, look it up all the stars, what are those stars? It's like, yeah, well, that's gonna be your offspring. I'm gonna make your offspring great and mighty and, and, and Abraham is all jacked. He's able to live life back in the tent because God showed him. But guess what God didn't tell him about? Mount Moriah. It sounded like the promise was already fulfilled up here. But, you know, and that's the way that we preach the American gospel. It's like, oh, no, no, we're just going to tell you about you're healthy and wealthy and wise and you're going to get it all and God wants this to be your best year and you're going to be awesome and famous and you're going to be on the Today Show and you're going to be blah, 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 blah. And it's like all of a sudden we're, we're all loving that story. And then comes the lose yourself moment that seems to be very much involved in the fulfillment of this promise. And that's exactly where Abraham finds himself. But you know, it's kind of like, I want all that, I want to just feel the forgiveness of God. Well, maybe that's why the Our Father was constructed this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as, uh, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, little monkey. As long as you hold bitterness in your hand towards your loved one and you don't let go of that bitterness, you're going to get trapped and ensnared by unforgiveness. You're never going to feel unforgiveness. I mean forgiveness. You're not going to feel that you're free. Why? It's because at this point when I asked you to let go of something, you were not willing to let go of it. And therefore, you have robbed yourself of that sense and awareness of the forgiveness and the belonging of God, and, and it's like, wow. And for a lot of us, maybe we're exactly there. It's like, you know, I've been praying. I've been, I've been fasting. I've been following God. I've been obeying. Yeah, but have you been withholding? Has, has God, it's like, yeah, you're not killing anybody. You're not cheating on anybody. You're not lying about somebody. But in, at the meat of your heart, are you withholding that thing from me? I don't think it's about greed, and, and I, I definitely don't think it's about greed across town. Though, you know, we did all that we did on $650,000 a year, and I know, you know, I could put three of you together and you make more than the, the yearly income of this church. So we could use some more giving if that's what God is speaking to your heart. But I don't, I don't, think, it's, I don't think it's because we're greedy across town. I don't even think it's because we're greedy in America. I think... Um, and I can only speak as the pastor of this church, it's about fear. I really think it's about fear. Um, I think there's a reason, you know, that 70% of people in America are on some antidepressant, and that if you add the next two countries after America, add up how many people take medication for, for uh, antidepressants, we still outrank the next two countries behind us. And it's like, why? We're, we're whack now, we're afraid. We're afraid if, if I let go of the rock, what will happen? If I, if I let go, 
What about me and mine? What about my future? And that's a scary place to be. And I think Jesus gives this, tells this parable that it's not just a parable, it's an axiom. I, I mean, he's telling a truth statement. So it's not just, hey, imagine this. He's like, no, in this imagination of this, this is exactly how it works. And let me read it to you in John 12. And I want you to see if you can hear, not the greedy words, but the fearful words. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loses his life, or he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. I think we're all afraid of the fall, of the dying. I think we're afraid of uh, the abiding alone. I think we're afraid of the loss. And there we are as, a, as a, maybe a church or as a person or as a culture, looking like monkeys with our hands in a vase, holding onto a rock, falling capture and pray that our futures don't go any further because we just can't with... We can't just let it go and give it to God. I kind of rephrased this my own way and the way that it was kind of working in my brain because I believe in God. I mean, I can, I can argue with the best of them on the existence of God. I mean, and so if you, you want to have that conversation, uh, get ready for a beatdown. I mean, because I, mean, I, I really know my facts on this one, okay? But you know what? Even though I got enough facts for a beatdown, I doubt every single day. When the back hurts, when the pain hurts, when the, the challenges come, all my nice, nice little facts, I, I, I get scared. Um, and, so, and I thought, well, what are you afraid of, Paul? You know these facts more than everybody else. You, you know about the reliability of these four Gospels. You know about cosmology. Why, if anybody in this auditorium, are you afraid? And I just kind of wrote it out the way that I think. We, or I, we are afraid that what we will get will never be as good as what we gave. It's like, yeah, but if I give up this really cool guy, if that's your Isaac, if I give up this really cool relationship, if that's your Isaac, if I really give up this good job or this opportunity, you know, or this house, or, or if I give up this check, and, and, you know, or if I give up this time to serve, whatever it may be, there's that general fear that we have that we, will never, we won't get something as good as what we gave. So we close our grip on the, on the rock. I also phrase it this way. Maybe we are afraid of what we will find will not be as good as what we lost. It's like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is it. Dude, if you let this go, you're an idiot. It's like, yeah, but if God's asking me to let this, if it's something that it's like, yeah, you'll never find this again. You'll never have this opportunity again. This only happens once in a lifetime. And I'll tell you, that's scary. It's scary to, to you know, to just trust God. Um, 
I, I, I would say that scares me a whole bunch, and, and I don't have any answers for you on this one. I wish I could tell you that, that all the facts will make this go away, um, that you don't have to trust God. Um, there's no way I can produce this. I, I've tried to try to produce that. I can take fear out of this, or I could take trust out of it. It just seems to be written into the equation, and that seems to be the only way God gets our hearts. If he brings us to a place where we have to let go of the rock. Um, but what I've learned that only a fool would not give up what he can't keep anyway to gain what he can never lose. Um, if you had told me six months ago that, Paul, if, if you can let go of mountain biking, running, exercise, doing all the fun things you do, if you, would, if you could give up, you know, the, bike, the boat and all that other stuff and, and deal with the pain and all the other stuff that you do, it's like that in six months your life would be better, not happier. Let me just throw that crap away, okay? Because that's American, okay? I'm talking about substantially, holistically, you, yours, you're only soulishly better, I would have told you there's no way I could suffer that much loss and in six months say that my life is actually better than it's ever been in my whole life. And I stand here today and tell you my life is better and nothing's changed. I still hurt. I still can't do any of that stuff. And you can tell me, oh, you're going to get better. Yeah, I know you're just whacked and you don't know. You don't know, you know. I, I know that you're a good-hearted person. You're just being sweet. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate your prayers. But I will tell you this. I don't know how it happened. But I love being me now more than I've ever loved being me. I love my, my life. I love, um, I love you better. I love my wife better. I see clearer, I hurt more, I'm unhappier more often, um, I wrestle with jealousy more often, but materially I'm better. All I can tell you is, folks, is that you gotta let go of the rock. And you, you say, well, that scares the heck out of me. And, and yeah, I can imagine Jesus laying down for those Roman soldiers to drive the, drive the nails through his hands I mean, when he's in the, the Garden of Gethsemane and we were told that a physiological effect of, of such anxiety comes upon him that he begins to sweat blood, you know? So you're in good company. If you're scared, you're in good company because the Son of Man, I mean, the anxiety of that moment was just upon him. Um, nobody for a second is going to tell you the cross was easy because he knew he was going to rise on the third day. No. He had a, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me moment, even though he knows exactly how it's going to work out, that it doesn't hurt any less, the anguish isn't any less, the loneliness isn't less, the falling, the, the losing, it was all real. But we are told that on, when he died and gave up his breath and went into the, into the grave, that the temple, in the temple, the veil was ripped in two, and what that was symbolic of is this. The place of losing yourself to God's will is where the future is born. 
It's where you're willing to let go that your future gets born. You think you've got to hold on for your future's sake. No, you've got to let go for your future's sake. And it's only when he gives up his life and his breath that we're told all of a sudden this temple, this veil where we could not go, now the eternal is opened up to us and we're able to travel through it. And for a lot of us, our lives aren't moving forward because we're not letting go of the rock. In, um, in one of the most beautiful moments of the story, after not withholding himself from God as expressed through Isaac, Abraham is, is, is coming down from the mountain from this experience. Now, to close out this chapter, a piece of information is given to us that appears totally inconsequential. I mean, it's like, one of the, it's like a lot of the books of the Bible. I don't know why I'm talking like this to let nobody hear that you're like the books of numbers. What the heck is that in the Bible for and how is this supposed to inspire me? And I've looked at a lot of stuff in the scriptures like Leviticus, like, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, I can't believe that's in the Bible, but it's only because I don't know why it's in there and I got to discover why it's in there. But it, so I was looking at one of these, this chapter, and it's like, so after this incredible moment, we're told all this inconsequential information. And then all of a sudden we find something very consequential in the middle of it. The chapter ends out, now it came about it after these things, after the moment with Isaac, and I like to kind of portray it this way, him walking down the side of the mountain, that it was told to Abraham, saying, behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, and Uz has his firstborn, and Buzz Lightyear his brother, and Camuel, the father of a guy that looks like his last name is Cheese, and Hazo, and Bildash, and Jidlop, and Bethuel. And Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Did you know that Nahor means the one who snores? Wow, great biblical significance in that one, huh? But it's like, well, what's so important about this? Why would God tell us that? It's because in the middle of this story, we are told a little girl named Rebecca is born. And Rebecca is going to become Isaac's wife. And it will be through, through Rebecca that Jacob, the patriarch, will be born. And the 12 tribes of Israel and the nation of Israel will be born. It's through Rebecca. But I think it's so divinely amazing. If you think the Bible is just like a book, I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. That what God is saying is that when you go through the place of losing yourself, your future empowerment is born. Your Rebecca is born. And so some of us are wondering, why is my life stuck? Why is not going forward? Why do I don't see anything happening, being born in my life? And God's like, we got to get you through this withholding thing. I need to get it. But if you will not get stuck in your pain and your meds and your depression and your bitterness or your success or your failure or your, your hatred, or if, if you'll let go, little monkey, if you'll let go of the rock, you'll see the Rebecca be born in your life the potential for a new life to happen. It's like, well, 
Paul, I really would prefer the out-of-tent experience. And just tell me how wonderful it's going to be. I don't want to have my Mount Moriah. There is no version of that story in human history. But through adversity, through difficulty, and even suffering, that God prevents, pre presents to each one of us an opportunity for the future to be born if we're willing to give him our lives, if we're willing to lose ourselves. So as we go into this moment of pressure, uh, prayer, um, it may feel like pressure. Because <laughs> it, it will. I wish I could remove it from you, but I can't. Um, God, can I dare you to ask God what your Isaac is? Because you can come to church and not kill people and, and um, not cheat on your spouse and walk out and think, wow, me and God are good. And Jesus is like, no, one more thing. Can I, can I talk to you about this? And it may make you sad, but it doesn't mean on the other side of it. It's not going to enrich your life so much that you can be leaving like where I'm at. And maybe my journey is not even over of what I have to go through, but that you could say, wow, I cannot believe that thing would have led me to this good thing. But it's gonna take you to face your fear. I can tell you this, that if you give God your life, he will give you back something that will be far greater than you can ever imagine. I cannot promise you it will make you happy, but it will give you such a core sense of value and meaning and purpose and fulfillment and dignity that you'll feel like your life is not a waste no matter the adversity that may be around you. Father, as we enter into this moment, Lord God, we dare to ask you, okay, God, what is it? What do you want to speak to me about? What am I going to suffer loss over? And maybe you hear God in some playful way saying, little monkey, you know what your rock is. You know what your rock is. You knew as soon as Pastor Paul opened up his mouth. And I'm asking you to let it go. Let it go. I know. I know what it is to let it go. I know, Abraham. I know every one of you. God wants you to know. I know. It ain't easy. It's hard. And it's scary. But the same God who rose Christ from the dead will also quicken your life decision to be willing to lose yourself and to follow after him. I invite you to come into this moment, receive the body and blood of Christ, reminding us that the future begins in losing ourselves.